thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's sermon. You may be seated this morning. Man, it's been a pretty good morning already. This is the kind of Sunday you get. Man, I love it. Just excited about how good God has been. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, like I said at the beginning, just, just to keep you up today, 20 days until Christmas. Man, I am so excited, so excited about Christmas time. And uh, as we get started, uh, I guess it was last year, uh, maybe two years ago, in one of my sermons, I, uh, I preached against fruitcake, okay? And here's the reason why. It's terrible, okay? And just so you know, it's bad. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Fruitcake's just not that good. And so some of y'all, every Christmas, and it's already started since then, you send me fruitcake in the mail. You send it to me. So listen, I uncovered this a little bit, and uh, you know, in my vast learning as a student of God's Word, and uh, you heard three wise men, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought to this. Here's what we found. Um, unbeknownst to most theologians, there was a fourth wise man who was turned away for bringing fruitcake. Okay, so just so you know, biblical truth today here at Connect Church. Man, we're so glad you're here. You know, I love good questions. Now, I love questioning the scriptures every time I engage and get ready to preach God's word. Just really good questions. I was sitting on uh, the couch the other day with my, my two youngest, Sadie, who's around five years old. I love her. And, and my little boy, Bennett, who's around three. And, and Billy and I just went hunting. And I, I killed me a buck and got all his meat and all that good stuff. And, and Bennett was uh, sitting right next to me. He goes, hey, Dad, why you got to shoot them deer? Oh, that's a really good question. Hey, Dad, why you got to shoot them deer? Now, listen, without hesitation, my five-year-old daughter who's over here watching a TV show goes, uh, that's how you get the chicken out of it. I was like, <laughs> I looked over to Ben, and I was like, we kind of looked at each other like, what did she, I went, Sadie, she's still watching TV. What did you just say? She goes, Dad, you shoot the deer because that's how you get the chicken out of it. I'm like, that is awesome. I love my daughter. That's how her mind works. Now, I love really good questions. You know, I have some questions about this Christmas season. And here they are. In a season of light, why do so many still walk in darkness? In a season of hope, why are so many still hopeless? In a season of healing, why are so many still hurting? And in a season of joy, why are still too many still weary? In 1847, two French men, one by the name of Adopte Adams, the other Placide de Rockmoon, they joined forces to write a timeless Christmas carol. However, this was an odd coupling here. Why? Because Adams was a Jewish man who did not believe the claims of Christ. And Rachmu, he was of the Christian heritage but would walk away from his faith altogether. And yet both of them would still write a song stating this truth that a weary world could rejoice in Jesus. 
So sacrilegious was this carol that in the 1800s, the Catholic Church in France had banned this Christmas carol altogether. And yet from it comes a message to a weary world. I want you to listen to this carol. Zach, if you would, would you sing this for us? And oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn fall on your knees oh he voices oh night divine oh night when Christ was born oh night divine oh night oh night divine and just a few years later, yeah. And just a few years later, John Sullivan Dwight would translate that French Christmas carol into English and become a beloved Christmas carol sung year after year in celebration of Christ. I love this sermon series, A Weary World Rejoices. But I want you to hear me, it's a mouthful. Here's what I mean. I want you to do this. On the count of three, if you've got a neighbor near you, I want you to look at them, and I want you to say, a weary world rejoices three times fast. You ready? Here we go. On the count of three. One, two, three, go. Yeah, see? And so here we go. This is a judgment-free zone as I preach this series, okay? Judgment-free zone because that's a mouthful, and I am going to mess up. That statement, but still there is great power in a weary world that rejoices. And here's the question I have for the 1800s. Why was the world so weary then? And a question I have for today, why is the world weary now? Hey, can I ask maybe a better, more personal question? Why is it that you and I are so familiar with weariness? Why is it that you and I experience weariness in our, in our everyday, everyday lives? Well, here's what we know. Weariness first made its way on the scene in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve, they willfully rebelled against God in that scandalous scene that involved an enemy, a tree, and forbidden fruits. And ever since sin was birthed in that garden, weariness has been a part of the human experience and the human story. At its heart, we know weariness is being tired. Perhaps tired physically due to a busy day 
or maybe a busy calendar or a busy life. Hey, we've all been there. We've all known that type of weariness. But there is a weariness that can be found emotionally and spiritually as well. And you know, we live in a world that is weary in every facet possible. Think of the past couple of weeks. Think of just the headlines that scroll across your phone or if you dare to watch the news. And talk about weariness. A boy walks into a Michigan high school and kills four of his classmates, four children who are gone and injures seven more. In Wisconsin, a man takes his SUV and runs it through a Christmas parade, killing six people and maiming 60 more. And then there's COVID, the Omicron variant that is terrifying the world. The stock market is tanking and inflation is, is rising. How about this past week in the five-year anniversary of the devastating fires? that took place in our community. From the headlines, to our own hearts, and to our own homes, hey church, there's weariness. We live in a weary world. But I want you to hear me, weariness is not just found in our story, but it's found here in the Christmas story as well. In Matthew chapter 1, which is oftentimes called the forgotten Christmas chapter because of all the names and genealogies, we walk through in Matthew chapter 1 the weariness woven in the genealogy of Christmas. Watch this in Matthew chapter 1 if you have your Bibles. Here's verse 1 and what it says. This is the book, and I've got it on the screen for you too. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, his title, the son of David, his lineage, and the son of Abraham, the validation to who he was. I love Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, because we know what happens in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. Everybody checks out. Why? Because 14 generations of names are listed. But I want you to hear me. These verses, this genealogy, they are, they are rich, they are important, and they mean something. And so a question this morning, why do genealogies, why do family trees like this, why are they important? Why do they matter? Man, think of the people of God who preserved and protected their genealogies through the centuries like no other nation before them. Israel's genealogies, watch this, they extend over 3,500 years from the creation of Adam to the captivity of Judah. And why did they take so much effort in preserving them? Because they were important. They told you what tribe you were from. And more importantly, what inheritance was yours to have? Genealogies at their heart, they are a record of family history. They were the ancestry.coms of the ancient world. They were important. Genealogies would have been memorized why? Because people in the ancient world did not have access to written records or to Google, right? And so people just memorized their family lines. In fact, some Bedouin Arabs today are able to recite 
their genealogy, their family tree for over an hour without one mistake. Because it's so important to them. Even to this day, the Bible contains many genealogies. In fact, the book of Genesis has nine different ones. 17 chapters of First Chronicles are devoted to genealogies. That's an exciting read. You have Ezra and Nehemiah who records the names of people nine different times. But here in Matthew chapter 1, we find something unique. The phrasing is somewhat unusual. Matthew calls this the genealogy of Jesus. Genealogy of Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, genealogies began with the oldest forefather in the genealogy. The earliest forefather because he was whom every other generation was derived but not here. Matthew lists this as Jesus' genealogy and by doing so, you know what he's saying? That of all these 14 generations, the most important person out of all 14 generations is Jesus. Greater than the patriarch of God's people, Abraham, and greater even than King David. Could Jesus, could Jesus really be the one a weary world could rejoice in? Could it really be Jesus? Matthew, the author of this gospel, had a deep understanding and a love for the Old Testament, which he quotes directly 50 times and alludes to some 75 times in his gospel. He skillfully worked to show us that Jesus was the promised Christ and king. Having been a tax collector, Matthew would have been more than qualified to write an account of Jesus and his life and his ministry, his teachings. As a tax collector, he would have known the Greek language and would have been well organized, organized enough to show us the miracle of Christmas through the genealogy of Jesus. Through the way he lays out this genealogy and his gospel, he conveys Three truths about Jesus. And really, three truths of Christmas. You ready? Here's number one. Jesus is the promised Christ. The long-awaited Messiah. Truth number two. Not only is Jesus Christ, and by the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? It's a title, meaning he's the Messiah. Here's the second truth. That not only is Jesus the Christ, but Jesus is the promised king in the line of David. And here's number three. Jesus is the king in whom a weary world can rejoice. I want you to hear this, believer. Are you ready? Jesus is the king in whom you can rejoice today. That is the message of this very Christmas time, that a weary world can rejoice. But what about all the names? What about these 14 generations. What of the weariness woven into the line of Jesus? Y'all want to read this together? No. I, I know you don't. And so you know what? Zach, come out here one more time if you would. And buddy, I need you to uh, <laughs> you're earning your pay today, bro. I need you to help us out with this genealogy in a way that is just uh, maybe a little bit more exciting than just reading it off the pages and so let's welcome Zach to the stage one more time today good luck buddy go ahead all right let's see what I can do here 
Jesus love. No, just kidding. Okay. Let's try this. I out. need more. Yeah. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac he had Jacob. Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez he brought Hezron up and then came Aram and Aminadab then Nashon who was then the dad of Salmon who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth she married Boaz who had Obed who had Jesse. Jesse he had David who we know as king. Oh, David he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Isaiah, who had Jotham, then Ahaz, then Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amon, who was a man, who was father of a good boy named Josiah. Who grandfathered Jehoiakim, who caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar. Merry doesn't, Christmas. Doesn't really rhyme. Yeah. But. Then he had Shealtiel, who begat Zerubbabel, who had Abiud, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azer, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was the father of Eliadin. He had Eliezer, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Now listen very closely, I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, mother of Christ. Yeah, there you go. There we go, I did it. Let's do it again. Yeah, no, no, I'm kidding. Show off, I love it. Hey, listen, that genealogy... A closer look. And you know what we begin to see in it? <laughs> this genealogy looks more like a police lineup than it does the lineage of a promised king. Looks more like a police lineup. You know what? I am grateful that Jesus has a family tree, a genealogy of broken and weary people. Man, I'm so grateful that he does. When it comes to being weary, being tired physically is one thing, but being weary emotionally and spiritual, spiritually is the worst kind of weary. That's the type of weariness we see here in the genealogy of Jesus woven into his family tree. And what do I mean? Nearly all of those in Jesus' genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, had notable moral failures on their spiritual resumes. For instance, Abraham was a liar. Jacob was a cheater. Tamar was abused and neglected. Rahab was a prostitute. Judah, a fornicator. David was an adulterer. Bathsheba was caught up in scandal, tragically lost a child. Solomon was a polygamist. Manasseh was the most evil king Israel ever had. Ruth was widowed and lonely, just to name a few. Broken people, broken relationships, broken dreams, tragedy, death, sin, Scandal, suffering, weariness is woven all throughout the generations before Jesus and all throughout the history 
of man. What we see in Scripture, what we see in Matthew chapter 1, this forgotten Christmas chapter, is a weary world walking in darkness. But oh, the message of Christmas that is underscored with the music of rejoicing. And hear me, hear me here's what Christmas time does. It moves us from weary to wonder. From weary to wonder. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. I love this passage. Speaking of the time of Jesus, the people walking in darkness have seen a, a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. A light has dawned. In a weary world. I love what Hamilton Wright maybe once wrote. He was an American essayist and lecturer. Listen to what he said. Blessed is the season which engages the whole world in a conspiracy of love. And in that good writing, blessed is the season which engages the whole world in a conspiracy of love. We see this conspiracy of love played out in Matthew's genealogy. Think of it. God orchestrated all of history to bring forth his son in this moment in Matthew chapter 1 that through him you and I might be able to move from weary to the wonder of Christ, to the wonder of his love, to the wonder of his glory, to the wonder of his forgiveness, to the wonder of his light, to the wonder of his salvation, to the wonder of his hope, to the wonder that is embodied in Jesus himself. To the wonder of what was said by the angel in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and she shall, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. How is it that a weary world can rejoice? She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. You see, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and so God sent us a Savior. Jesus, through the cross, through the empty grave, via this manger scene in Bethlehem, removed from us the greatest source of weariness. You ready? The greatest source of our weariness is God's wrath against our sin. Thus, he removes from us sin's power to wear us out with weariness. You see, Jesus moves us from weary to wonder by faith. Hebrews 12, 3, I love this. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. So watch this, believer, so that you will not, what, grow weary and lose heart. Why? Because in Jesus, we move from weary to wonder. But here's what we know, and all of us are very familiar with this. We all know this. Even believers wander through seasons of weariness, don't we? And if you say you don't, write a book, sign it, and I'll buy it. We all do. Wander through seasons of weariness. Now, I want you to hear me. Weariness doesn't always mean a lack of faith, but I want you to hear me. It is a test of faith. 
What will you and I do with weariness? And so here's two truths I want to remind you of. Out of this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, two truths we know. Number one, believer, hear me on this. Number one, no matter how weary our world is, no matter how weary you get, the God we serve never grows weary. The God we serve never grows weary. Watch this in Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Hey, can we just stop for a moment? And isn't it good that the weariness of this world never rubs off on God? He never grows weary. A few years ago, I was watching Sports Center, and I saw the highlights of a game, a basketball game, between the UCLA Bruins and another team they were playing. And I saw a moment take place in that game that was pretty impactful to me. Jalen Hands was on the same team as his buddy Moses Brown. And I want you to watch this real quick on the screen, if you would. A bad pass in the game. They were down 17. Watch this. <laughs> and isn't that good? Man, you know, you know I love what Jalen did there? After his teammate had made a mistake and walked down that court with his head lowered in shame, disgust, for just a quick moment, Jalen goes to Moses. And he lifts his head. Man, pretty powerful TV moment that happened quickly. You know, I get to thinking about weariness. You know what weariness does in the life of a believer? It, it makes us hang our head, doesn't it? It makes us drop our eyes and drop our chin. And it makes us hang our head. And yet we serve a God who not only is the lifter of our heads, but he's the one who lifts us out of the weariness of this world. I love this. In Psalm 3.3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. As the God who never grows weary, guess what he does? He lifts up the heads of those of us who are weary. Do you need him to lift your head up this morning? The God we serve never grows weary. Following Jesus, hear me, moves us from weary to wonder. And here's the second truth and the final truth. Jesus welcomes the weary. He carved out passages just for seasons like you and I have. Seasons of weariness. Watch this in Matthew 11, and Eric spoke to this even last week. He read it in a different version. But watch this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You, you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, hey, let me bear the unbearable for you. Let me bear it for you. Let me, let me take it on me. When the world grows weary, when your heart and your life grow weary, run to Jesus. Rest 
and rejoice in him. Hey, let me ask you, what is robbing you of the wonder of Christ and the celebration of Christmas this year? What is robbing you of rejoicing? What is, what's making you weary? Maybe weary in ways that nobody else knows but you. Not even those closest to you. What is causing weariness? You know, we drink and abuse drugs to escape this weary world. We become workaholics in order to distract from this weary world. We become addicts to numb ourselves to this weary world. We give in to fear and hide from a weary world. We work hard to project images of ourselves to pretend not to be affected by this weary world. We build walls to try and protect ourselves against a weary world. And the sad thing is, all these coping mechanisms only produce more weariness. Jeremiah would say this, speaking of a people in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 5, that these people, they were weary themselves with sinning. That these people, they were weary themselves by sinning. And so you know what, church, I want you to hear me. Don't weary yourself with sin. Rather, let Jesus and in Jesus move from weary to the wonder of his love. Oh, weary world, rejoice. Oh, weary soul, rejoice. Oh, weary believer, rejoice. And the only way we can do that is by faith allowing Jesus today to move every one of us from weary to his wonder. Malika is a beautiful young lady who goes here to Connect Church. Today she'll be down in the Connect Kids ministry And they share their story all over the nation, but Malika was born blind. And as if that wasn't difficult enough, 15 months old, her mom abused her. She took Malika and she threw her in a bath of scalding hot water, which burned most of her body. That was till until Laura and John and Ashley and Jordan, a family came and and rescued this young lady and and took her into their home where today she'll be sitting in church, loved by so many. This past week, her mom posted something on Facebook that I'd love to share with you. She was given a class project, Malika was. And here was the project. What would she want to see if she could see of the Christmas story. And here's what she typed out in Braille, and I love this. And here's the question she was answering. If I had my sight, what would I want to see at Christmas and why? And here's what she typed out in Braille. If I had my sight, Malika wrote, I would like to see the Christmas star of his birth because this is when we celebrate Jesus' birthday. And also, I would like to see the Christmas tree and listen to her language because I like the feel of the ornaments and I would also like to see the lights on the tree. Watch this. Because they are so beautiful. And I would also like to see the presents. (laughs) And I love this. Because the color of pink is my favorite wrapping paper. A young lady, born blind, 
abused and burned. Who ought to have the trump card and being the weariest of all of us, she still can see the wonder of Christmas because of Jesus. Helen Keller, who shares part of Malika's story, said this, the only blind person at Christmas time is he who has not Christmas in his heart. You spend one minute with Malika, and you'll know from her how Jesus moved her from weary to wonder. And she doesn't just have Christmas in her heart. She has Christ in her heart. And he makes all the difference in the world. Let me ask you this. Is Christ in your heart? Have you given him your heart and your life? Hey, believer, where is it today that through his spirit, the Lord wants to move you from weary to wonder? The thing about Jesus is we do not have to live in weariness. We have access to the wonder of all wonders in Jesus. But here's the question. Can you see it? Can you see it? Let's pray together again. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.